0: This is the John Cass Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get started with today's episode, as a thank you to those who uh, have been listening to the podcast and just kind of as a thank you to everybody who reached out on me on Twitter when I got let go of my job in late July, I was really blown away by how kind everybody was uh, on Twitter. And so I wanted to do something cool for people who supported me on the radio and support me now on the podcast. And one of the ways I came up with is partnering with Ian's Pizza to give away a five hundred dollar prize, cash for the holidays, right now this goes to one person who's going to correctly identify the secret message. I feel like uh, uh Zach from Ian's was texting me the other day, and this is kind of like the uh, Christmas story, um, radio promotion type of thing. But I'm doing a radio promotion on a podcast because I just want to say thanks, and I think it's fun. So uh, I'm giving out keywords, word or word combos, and then you put them together and figure out the secret message. And then everybody who DMs me that secret message on Twitter uh, at John Audius Radio at John Cass podcast, also on Instagram at John Cass podcast on Instagram. Go follow me there. It's fun. Um, you will be eligible for that $500 prize. It's brought to you by Ian's pizza in Madison, Milwaukee, Denver, and Seattle. They've got the Thanksgiving slice. Perfect timing for the Thanksgiving slice, Turkey, cranberries, stuffing, uh, all of it on there. I love that Thanksgiving slice. Go check out Ian's pizza. Uh, wherever you go get your Ian's pizza. It's in Madison. They've got three locations. All right. So, Before I get to today's word combo for the Ian's Pizza secret message, uh, let's start today's podcast. What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career. And in the meantime, joins the 4 million other podcasts on the internet and the John cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John Cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. Andy Herman, what are you drinking?
1: Oh man, I am a big soda drinker for anyone that knows me. So I'm definitely a Mountain Dew guy. I'm trying to drink less soda and drink more water, but it is a struggle. Soda is my vice of choice. I would rather have it than alcohol or water, coffee, and anything. Give me, a, give me a nice Mountain Dew any day of the week.
0: Man, that Mountain Dew, uh, I've gotten in a little bit of a Mountain Dew habit myself. I'm now buying the seven and a half ounce cans of Mountain Dew because I just want a little taste of Dew. I don't want to go full on 20 ounces because you you sound like you're probably a 20 ounce guy.
1: I could drink. I mean, just set me up with a Mountain Dew IV at this point. I could drink as much Mountain Dew as is in front of me. So yeah, I'd probably need to cut back and, and down to the seven ounces, to be honest,
0: are you one of those Mountain Dew guys? Cause they sometimes have like the, uh, all the different types of Mountain Dew or are you just classic Dew?
1: I like classic Dew. I also love Mellow Yellow too. So I'm not, I'm an equal opportunity, uh, caffeine, uh, lemon lime
0: drinker. So I'm good with either. Wow. Okay. So you are a, an old school Dew guy. I get it, but you like the Mellow Yellow. That's, that's a absolutely. Little, Cause sometimes people who like Mountain Dew don't like the Mellow Yellow.
1: I know. It's, it's been weird. In fact, I almost feel like I've been cheating on Mountain Dew lately because I've been drinking a little bit more Mellow Yellow lately. So I don't know, just kind of day of the week, I guess, sort of thing. But uh, I'm happy to ingest as much of it,
0: uh, of either one as I possibly can. Some Mountain Dew and some Ian's Pizza, I think, goes well together. All right. So here is today's keyword or word combo. Four. Okay. Now, this is not like the number four, like Brad Favre. This is not swing the golf club. Four. Not that. It's F-O-R. Okay, F-O-R. And if you want to hear the previous keywords, go listen to the episodes with uh, Bull Ryan, Paul Allen, and Sam Decker for the previous three word or word combos. But today's is F-O-R-4. Let me uh, cross that out on my list here so I know not to uh, double up. But my guest today is Andy Herman. He covers the Green Bay Packers. Now, if I go to your Twitter account and I click on your bio, how many jobs do you have, Andy Herman? Because I have you at, uh, hold on, mm-hmm. let me bring up your bile. Now it's not working. You've got the Pack-A-Day podcast. You're part of that, right? Yeah. You've got uh, Packer Report. You're doing Packer Report. Yep. You uh, also are uh, a guest on a couple of different radio stations. You're an analyst for at Green Bay Nation. My goodness, man, you've got, you've got it all covered.
1: And, and the best part of that all is that's not even none of those are my primary job. I'm actually a uh, full time uh, manager of a team of recruiters here in Green Bay, uh, th- you know, 40 plus hours per week. So,
0: uh, yeah, definitely a busy schedule, to say the least. So this is your passion, then if you're doing this, if you already have the full time job and you're doing Pack a Day podcast and Pack a Report as the writer and editor like this is this is because you are truly passionate about not only the NFL, but I'm assuming the Green Bay Packers.
1: Yeah, a million percent, and I think that's one of the the real fun things about it. And you know, it's it's become something more than I ever could have imagined or expected it to become. And uh, that's been a really fun part of this process as well. Obviously, with Packaday, the fact that I have a team of you know twenty people that. Uh, are so amazing at creating content and being able to do it 365 days a year, um, and then you know just uh, the opportunities that Pack Reports, you know, been, you know, allowed me to to be a credentialed member uh, as well. Just all those sort of things, just again beyond my wildest uh, imagination. But definitely started as a passion project when I um, really started writing for Cheesehead TV originally. A, a handful, not even a handful of years ago, I think it was. Um, about four years ago, actually, that I started doing that. Um, I, I really decided that I wanted to make sure that I was doing something regularly and something that was going to set me apart. And that's when I started you know, grading every player and every play and doing the the weekly grading, the pack stuff and everything just kind of blew up from there. But uh, definitely a, a passion project and definitely something I love doing every day.
0: Okay. So I do want to ask more about the job because you said you grade every play that the Green Bay Packers make.
1: Yeah. So this is my fifth year doing it. I've graded every single uh, Packer player on every single play. I'm graded them on a scale from, you know, plus two to minus two on every single play, obviously tabulate those grades through the course of the year. And then, you know, I have five, almost five years uh, of data now to, to go back and, you know, kind of compare you know, players between seasons and things like that. So um, it's really been fun and beneficial. And obviously just, you know, besides the grades, just when you watch in detail, every player and every play, you really have a, a way. Way of being able to see who's playing well, who's struggling, who's doing what things right, who's you know maybe uh, off a little bit here and there, and, and it's and you can also get a, a real good pulse on like players that are starting to you know really it's starting to click for them and they're starting to play better, or maybe players who are starting to decline. And um, I think anytime when you put that much time, effort, and energy, you're just going to have a, a level of you know analysis and just kind of you know. I guess, visualization on it that, you know, a lot of people may
0: not have. Yeah, that's crazy. I want to ask you a little bit more about that in a second, but I have to start with uh, the top trending. I saw this. I saw it's officially trending on Twitter. COVID toe. COVID toe (laughs) is trending on Twitter. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has a bum toe. Some are speculating. I even got this from uh, Rob Vogel, a good friend of, of the podcast, Rob Vogel. He sent the Wall Street Journal article that dropped on November 24th, this Wednesday, about Aaron Rodgers. This is the headline Aaron Rodgers doesn't just have any toe injury, he has COVID toe. That's what the Wall Street Journal is saying. Does Aaron Rodgers have COVID toe?
1: That's a great question. You know, he made light of it with McAfee on Tuesday and, and saying he had COVID toe, but was sort of laughing it off. You know, he's been so hard to read this entire season. Uh, And, and, you know, I just, it's, it's so tough to say, because, you know, usually if he's joking around with something like that on McAfee, you can almost write it off and say, all right, well, obviously that's not it. Uh, but at the same token um it's it's been really odd that he's been so vague about this injury and hasn't gone into any details and it happened when you know he was out with covid the the timeline certainly matches up but you know i get to pretend to be a packer analyst 365 days a year but it, it'd be even tougher for me to pretend to be a doctor um, and certainly when i don't know the medical information but literally with this season nothing would surprise me with aaron with the packers uh every injury that can happen has happened and everything that has had some level of drama with Aaron, it seemingly happened. So, no, no, certainly nothing would surprise me at this point.
0: Yeah, it's crazy because I thought he said, Okay, so I saw that Wall Street Journal article. I said, Well, you guys are straight up like making things up. He said it was a bone issue. So then I went back to the quote and he says, The problem with turf toe is it's the joint in your big toe and it is very painful. So, naturally, I'm leading people to understand that if it's worse than turf toe, there must be some sort of bone issue. Okay. So that, I, I don't know, even we talk about Rodgers, he's trying to dissect what he says. Even that is a little bit vague. I'm leading people to understand that if it's worse than turf toe, there must be some sort of bone issue. So I, I don't know, man. Do you think uh, I would start to think just as a Packers fan that there's nothing to do with COVID. But once again, who knows? Nothing would surprise you. Like you said, that it's more of a bone issue.
1: That's how I read that as well. And that's how I kind of interpreted it uh is, is more of a bonus. It, it honestly just seems like he broke his pinky toe is uh sort of the, the layman's for it. But uh, again, I think this would be so easy if he just said, yeah, I broke my pinky toe, right? Like I, it, but instead there's this sort of vagueness and, you know, we have to kind of read between the lines and him not wanting to talk about it has made it a little bit more interesting. But I think at, at the end of the day, the important thing is, you know, I think in that first half of this past game, certainly looked a little. Little bit disjointed no pun intended on joint but uh, disjointed in the offense um, in that first half but uh, I think in the second half you know whatever they were able to do at halftime to to get things back on on track like he, he looked much better he looked agile he was able to run he was able to move around obviously made a ton of great throws so I mean if, if he's able to play like he did in the second half against the Vikings moving forward even if that's the injury I think for Packer fans that's probably ultimately the the biggest thing that they care about at this point.
0: Yeah. If he can just produce, even if whatever the toe injury is, however, the toe injury occurred, it's all about production, baby. And if he, if he, he just keeps producing, then we start to forget about uh, all those other things. But it is really strange. Like I'm trying to put myself into Roger's shoes. No pun intended either there um, <laughs> about like, OK, so why don't you tell us? Are you not telling us specifically because it is something covid related and, you know, everything would be a, a backlash? Do you not want to tell us it is perhaps like a broken toe or pinky toe because of how it occurred. And you're afraid of the backlash. Do you not want to say it because you don't want to give the upper hand to the, to, to the rest of your opponents on the schedule? Like it's, it is weird, but it's it now the problem with everything that he said in the past, in my opinion, Andy, you tell me what you think, everything he said in the past about being uh, immunized, uh, about everything he said is that now we dissect his words. Now we look at, Every single word and the way he phrased it, and where the pauses were, and how the sentence ended. And you know what I mean? Like, and that's just, I, I, is this going to be like how we dissect everything Aaron Rodgers says when we don't have an answer from now until he retires?
1: Yeah, it certainly seems like it could be that way. And, and, you know, I think he, he did have the the benefit of the doubt up until that point of, you know, when he said something, everyone just kind of took him at his word because nobody had any reason to feel otherwise. And, um you know, obviously with him just having sort of a play on words by saying, you know, uh, you know, what he said during the COVID situation, um I think is going to make people maybe parse his words just a little bit more, but uh, to that end. I almost, in a way, wonder if if Aaron is being more specifically vague with everything now because of that, of just being like, you know what, no matter what I say, uh, it's going to be parsed to the nth degree and somebody's going to run one way with it one way or the other. So, you know what, I'm just going to say I have a toe injury and leave it at that. And whatever people want to believe, they're going to believe anyway. So all I know is I got to play football through this toe injury and I'll figure out a, a way to make it happen. And whatever else anyone wants to believe, he, he does ha- sort of have this. Um, I don't give a crap uh, sort of attitude um, towards some of that stuff. Uh, I think a little bit more, even these past couple seasons. So um, I almost wonder if he's kind of gone in that direction because, you know, of all the the speculation.
0: A bone issue, if it is a bone issue. And I, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think a lot of what you said there is true and it's more painful than toe, a turf toe. If it is that bone issue, that, that sounds like a big deal to me to have your quarterback who has to move at times and. Like I think that's a big deal if it's worse than turf toe because you always hear about turf toe injuries throughout, you know, the course of your NFL fandom career. And man, turf toe injuries can sideline guys and can really affect play.
1: It certainly can. And I think one, it, it it's a testament to to Roger's toughness. I, I don't think it's lip service when he says you know that he learned a lot from Brett Favre and playing through injuries, and watched what he went through, uh, and and how important it is to be the the quarterback week in and week out. I, I think he definitely probably toughed through some things this past week. I also think you know if you are going to have a toe, and he kind of mentioned this on McAfee uh, yesterday as well, or on Tuesday as well. But um, you know if if you are going to have a toe injury, it's the the pinky one's probably the best of them. Uh, but I'm sure he's going through some pain and having to tough some things out. And uh, again, at the end of the day, if he's able to play like he did against Minnesota, that ultimately going to be a win and I think for all quarterbacks you know, obviously every quarterback wants to be able to step into their throws and be able to, um, you know, get as much, you know, oomph on it and, and everything like that. But for all quarterbacks who, you know, can potentially deal with this a little bit better, you know, there's nobody better in the league at having to, you know, throw off of different arm angles and platforms and, you know, fading away and everything else than Aaron. You know, I, I think that can affect his deep ball from time to time, but overall, Aaron's still able to throw and put the ball just about wherever he wants uh, toe injury or no toe injury.
0: All right. Full disclosure here. I'm from Minnesota. I grew up a Vikings fan. Okay. I'm, still, I'm still a Minnesota Vikings fan. I appreciate you still staying on the podcast after I just said <laughs> that. Um, but uh, I understand you were at US Bank Stadium this past weekend for Packers-Vikings. Uh, how, what was your reaction to everything you saw? Well, before the game stuff, how about just uh, the atmosphere being at a Packers-Vikings game? What'd you think?
1: Yeah, I thought it was good. You know, I've been in some, you know, fairly nondescript atmospheres. I was in St. Louis for a Rams game uh, and that stadium had no character whatsoever. The, you know, it, it felt like as sterile and blob an environment it didn't even feel like a football game. It felt like you were going to like a arena league game. And all of a sudden the Packers were playing. Um, but, uh, you know, in in Minnesota, it, it it would definitely felt like an NFC North Packers Vikings game. You could feel the rivalry. You could feel the intensity. Um, the, the stadium is obviously gorgeous. You you know, I know that some people, uh, may not like the, uh, you you know, how it looks on the, I I think it looks you know gorgeous on the outside. I think it's befitting of uh, Minneapolis. I think it's befitting of the Vikings. And I, you know, I think the, Um, You know, from a a seating standpoint, I think, you know, I was up in the 300 level and the seats were fantastic. So I'm sure it it seems like there's no real bad seat in the house. Uh, One thing I will never take for granted at Lambeau again is the wide concourses because uh, trying to get through some of those tight areas as you know, eighty thousand people are going through those tight corridors and trying to get food and everything else. Was uh, the, the logistics of it? I thought were a little bit poor, um, but other than that, I, it was a good experience. Other than having to sit through that horn through the majority of the game, everything
0: was pretty good. <laughs> I, I haven't been to the U.S. Bank Stadium, but uh, tiny concourses annoy me. Uh, I was at the the Target uh, Target Field. This is man a few years ago, and one of the things in the area of the stadium I was at is I noticed is oh my gosh, these concourses are tinier than the Metrodome. And that, that's so annoying when you're trying to, to walk through a herd of people and you just yep. want to get a hot dog or go to the restroom or something.
1: Yeah. I, once I got to my seats, I didn't even bother going back down in the concourse until the game was over because I wasn't going to mess. And maybe as the, you know, everyone got to their seats, maybe it was fine. Um, I didn't go down there, but it was such a, a cluster pregame and postgame. Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily made the wrong choice, but, uh, it was definitely a, a difference from Lambo where you're able to get from, from point A to point B with, with relative ease.
0: Okay. So but well, overall you enjoyed your, your Minneapolis experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a really fun game. Obviously uh, didn't end the way that uh, Packer fans wanted, but uh, overall a massively entertaining game back and forth came down to the end. Um, Not much more you can ask for in
0: that regards. If I'm trying to be fair and unbiased, and I admit off the top here to you here that I'm a Vikings fan. I feel like the Viking, I'm sorry, the Packers are actually the better team. Um, You know, you, you throw in some misses, you throw in the Savage pick that was this close to to be in a, an interception that could have ended the game. Uh, you you throw in injuries on the Packers side too. Like I feel if if these two teams are 100% and, you know, granted, this is the NFL, not everybody's going to be 100%. I don't know. I guess my point is I just feel like there are a lot of things that went against the Packers that if they meet again and those things don't, uh, Packers going to win.
1: No, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, here's the thing. I, I don't take anything away from the Vikings in that game. And I don't think that the Vikings have anything to be, you know ashamed of by winning that game they, they earned it I thought Justin Jefferson was phenomenal as he usually is and uh that you know th- there's a lot of things that the the Vikings are doing really well I thought their their coverage in the back end against Green Bay's offense in the first half was fantastic and really you know forced Green Bay to get off to that slow start I don't think it was anything Green Bay did wrong I think it was a lot of things that Minnesota was doing right so Minnesota did a lot of things to, to win that game but I think if you look at Green Bay's overall pressure percentage in that game and how many you know Yolo balls that Kirk Cousins threw up for grabs. I think if you play that game, you know, a hundred times, I think Green Bay's uh, gladly taking some of those uh, Kirk Cousins interceptable balls and, and picking them off and taking them the other way. Maybe you don't have a roughing the passer penalty on one. Yeah, you know, I just think, I, I think when you look at the overall process of it, Green Bay put, you know, by far enough points up to win. And I think their defense had more than enough opportunities to get the takeaways and stops that they needed, but they just couldn't get it. And credit to the Vikings receivers for coming down with some of those plays when, when Green Bay's defenders couldn't. So, yeah, it's not taking anything away from the Vikings in any way, shape or form. But I think if Green Bay could play that game over, like I said, a hundred times, I think they feel pretty confident they're winning the majority of those.
0: Yeah, I would think so, too. And you're right, though. Justin Jefferson did give them issues, and that is something to, to think about next time. Um, speaking of next time, next time Aaron Rodgers and his COVID toe or pinky toe bone issue, whatever it's going on there, no Elton Jenkins, how much are they going to miss Elton Jenkins? And then David Bakhtiari is getting just a little knee procedure. Uh, what are your feelings on, on when they can get Bakhtiari?
1: Yeah. It sounds like maybe, you know, December at some point, maybe mid to end December that they get him back maybe last couple games of the season and then hopefully for the playoffs, but uh, they're going to have to go with Yash Nyman, you know, for the foreseeable future, probably a left tackle. They do have a couple other options, but I'd be pretty surprised if it wasn't Yash. And I think, you know, where Green Bay's offensive line stands right now, obviously they're going to miss Elton a ton. They're going to miss David while he's out. They're missing Josh Myers. They're still missing Corey Lindsley from him being gone, you know, from uh, last season. So uh, this offensive line has gone through a major overhaul just from, you know, end of last season up until now, a lot due to injuries, but also Corey. Uh, But I think, you know, if you look at any of these five offensive linemen individually, I think if, if Yash is in there, if if John Runyon, if Lucas Patrick, if Royce Newman, if Billy Turner, if any of those guys are your, you know, fourth or fifth guy on your offensive line, I don't, I don't think you have any major issues. But I think if if John Runyon and Billy Turner are your your top two offensive linemen, and then you still have, you know, Yash and Patrick and Newman who have all struggled at different times throughout the season, uh, it's just you, you know you're you're asking for trouble. You're asking to have to change the offense. You know Aaron's going to have to get rid of the ball quicker, which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it just changes the way that they want to play. And I think they're going to have to really tough through until hopefully at some point they get back Bakhtiari and Josh Myers before the end of the season.
0: Mm, have to tough through it. Now they've got the Rams up next. How much of a test is the Rams, and and how big of a game is this? If you drop to eight and four, obviously still in control of the NFC North, but all of a sudden you you know you drop another one you're at 4 losses on the season
1: yeah, other than this game being at home, this is I think just about one of the worst case scenarios for Green Bay. Uh, I, I think first of all, the Rams coming off you know two really abysmal performances, you know they're going to be a million percent motivated. But the fact that Green Bay hasn't had their bye yet, you can tell this team is insanely tired. Matt Lafleur said so prior to the Viking game, and then you can just tell the the Scotch tape and band aids that's holding kind of this team together with everyone injured. They need the bye week so incredibly you know bad. And then on the flip side, the Rams are coming off of their bye week. So not only is Green Bay maybe the most tired team in the league because they haven't had their buy yet, you literally are now facing the team who is just coming off their buy and might be the most rested team in the league and has now had a week to integrate Von Miller and Odell Beckham. I don't love this matchup at all. And, and now you have you know Aaron Donald and Von Miller and that entire Rams line. Agbo uh, Okoronkwo is playing really well lately in the limited capacity. Like those sort of things are going to be really tough for Green Bay in this game. Um, I I would expect actually Green Bay. To- to to not come away with a win in this one, but I do think they get healthy during the bye. I think they get the rest they need and wouldn't surprise me if they ran the table in the regular season after that. But I think this is going to be a really tough game.
0: Okay, Andy Herman. So you got to tell me, how did you get into the sports media space you're at? Because like you said, you have a full-time job and you started at She Said TV. What made you want to pursue this more?
1: Yeah. It all just kind of happened really fast. So, you know, uh, when I was in college, I would, I had my own blog. If, if anyone remembers or has been following me for a while, my old Twitter handle was at sports, and the, the, the title of my website or blog was com, And I talked about Badgers, Packers, Brewers, Bucks. Um, and I would write pretty regularly. Honestly, I would probably write more and as in depth, if not more than I even do now. And uh, just nobody knew who I was. So nobody read it. So uh, outside of maybe a couple of friends and a family member here, or there. So I just kind of stopped doing it. And I w- I w- wrote for uh, Titletown Off, which is kind of a, a smaller Packers blog. Um, they picked me up and I wrote a little bit there and I gained a little bit of a following there. I mean, maybe like 800 to a thousand followers on Twitter or something. Um, But nothing too crazy, Uh, but just started writing about the Packers a bit because I love doing it and then stopped doing that because I just wasn't able to do it regularly. And then took kind of some, some different scouting courses that are available through, you know, throughout, uh, you know, online and, and some things like that and started to get into it more. And then finally, that's about when, you know, four years ago when she said TV had the opportunity to reach out to Jersey Al, see if I could write for them. And that's when I started doing. All of the grading the pack stuff, and then out of that came a couple of radio hits, and then I started the podcast, and then I got the TV gig and it all sort of happened overnight without um without much warning so it was it was a whirlwind it was ins- it's been insanely fun i don't take it for granted at any given moment um, and just kind of enjoying the ride uh, as I'm doing it
0: I love the idea of pack a day <laughs> every single day, just the name, everything about it the you know, the information that a Packers fan can get every single day. Like that's a, that's an awesome idea.
1: I appreciate that the a couple of funny things about that. So I had been thinking about potentially doing a podcast while simultaneously wanting absolutely nothing to do with creating a podcast because <laughs> I just figured it was going to end up me doing it every single day or however many times to do it. Yeah. I didn't really have any experience with it, so um, it was something that I felt like I probably should do or get involved with, but just didn't have any um, real interest. If I did do it, my my idea behind it was the New York Times, the Daily, uh, which was a, a, a as obviously a daily. A news podcast that's giving kind of your daily news five days a week. That was kind of my idea of like, you know what? if? I know that's a news thing, but I guarantee that there's enough thirst in the Packer sphere for that type of content daily. That, that was kind of my idea. And then um, all of a sudden, just one night, the name Pack A Day came to me um, and I'm like, all right, got to do it. And within an hour, I posted out on Twitter, hey, I'm starting a podcast figured I'd maybe get a handful of people who might be interested. I had about 200 people apply and sort of the rest was history. So as much as I kind of didn't want to do it, it just kind of came together and it's, it's been amazing.
0: That's really cool. So how did the the grading of every play, every player, is it every offensive player or every defensive?
1: Every offensive and defenses. I don't do special teams. That's the one thing I don't do, but every offensive player, every defensive player, um, and so obviously Pro Football Focus, uh, did that, um, and, you know, for, for some time. And, um, I kind of wanted to get into that similar sort of thing, but with one person having kind of eyes on Green Bay. Um, another sort of really quick, interesting story there is the way that I kind of got into Cheesehead TV was sort of, um, not luck, but kind of happenstance. I was writing for, um, Title Town Sound Off at the time and Pro Football Focus had, it was Rogers had like a five or six touchdown game. Uh, I want to say it was against the chiefs, maybe, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago now. And um, it was, he he looked fantastic and everyone was praising Rogers and uh, pro football focus gave out their grade that day. And they gave him, I think it was either a really bad grade or like a negative grade. And everyone, everyone's just throwing PFF under the bus and being like, he just threw like five touchdowns, no picks, ran another like incompleted, like four passes, and you're going to give him a negative grade or a low grade. Like, what are you possibly looking at? So I reached out to, to TV and I said, well, I would like to grade Aaron Rodgers in this game because I had done some of it previously. Um, and I'd like to grade Rodgers and, and kind of come to my own conclusion and see if. PFF was right or if they were dead wrong. Um, And I, and I did that and I went through the exercise and uh, PFFs actually wasn't that off. If you looked at all the throws in that game, a lot of them were just like the the easiest possible throws you could have wide open wide receivers, five yards. And it was a lot of the receivers doing the work after the catch. Meanwhile, he had a couple of throws that, you know, one, I know for sure, probably should have been a pick six that the defender just dropped, had another play that was a big turnover worthy play. So I, I could, I could understand where they came from. And I wrote up this whole article on. She said TV. Um, and I did that again while writing for, for Title Town Sound Off. That was my first time writing it up and it got some traction. And then um, a couple of years later, when I wanted to write for She said TV, I was able to say, Hey, remember, I wrote this article for you before and it did well, and so on and so forth. And like, Oh, yeah, do you want to do something more regularly? So that was sort of what, uh, what in a way, kind of kicked off everything.
0: And I think that's important to note too. Like, old school, I mean, we look at the stats and, and you'll see a quarterback stats or whatever. But, you know, that's, and then we determine how good somebody was by, by those stats, but it's, it is, I think that's just a big reminder or a good reminder rather to, to look deeper than just the box score. And that's what you're doing when you grade every play, you're looking deeper than just what the, the numbers were, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, A.J. Dillon's such a great example this week. So, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, obviously the run game wasn't great and the the offensive line didn't block great, but, you know, they see some of the catches and, you know, some of the yards that he got and, you know, everyone's like, you know what, I think A.J. had a pretty good game. And he, he, for the most part, he did, but it was interesting because as a pass catcher, he caught everything that came his way. He got some yards after the catch, which was good. I thought he was phenomenal as a pass blocker, which probably most people didn't notice. He had a couple of really awesome blitz pickups, graded really well on that. But in the running game, I actually thought there were two or three times where there were some holes that uh, if he's looking in the right spot, uh, he has an opportunity to, to really break or get some really big gains and just sort of missed them, where I think if, if Jones uh, is in that same situation. We might've seen some big explosive runs from Aaron Jones. So um it's just interesting where, you know, you you see this overall box scoring game from like an AJ Dillon. And again, I think overall he had a solid game, but missed opportunities in the run game, really great in the pass or pass protection game. And I, I just think it's sometimes those things that go unnoticed when you're just watching the game on the, the TV copy, and you're watching it live as a fan. And that again, anytime you're able to watch the all 22 and, and watch every player and every play, you're just going to pick up on some of that stuff. And that's, what's kind of given me a little bit of a unique insight into things.
0: Okay. So how do you learn how to grade every play? Because I was talking with Pete Doherty on one of my other previous podcasts, and he mentioned uh, among other people, you, and it, it made it sound like you went to some sort of uh, camp or, or (laughs) how, how would, how did you learn how to grade an NFL game?
1: Yeah, I really appreciated Pete saying that he's the absolute best, but, um, in, in a way it's going to sound super disappointing as I define it. So, um, so yes, I did go to two different, uh, scouting class. So there's, there's one that's really good right now. That's called the scouting Academy. I have not done that one, but if anyone's interested, I've heard great things about that. Um, and would definitely recommend checking it out. It is, you know, it's, it's, none of these are cheap. Um, but you can go do that and you can learn how to kind of scout players. There's another one uh, that is also available that sports management worldwide. Uh, that's one of the ones that I did. And uh, like the former Bucks GM, Mark Dominic was involved at the time and he would kind of go through different things and you would learn different sort of scouting strategies. There was a CFL scout that was uh, a part of that as well. And they would kind of teach you how to you know write up scouting reports. So I did that one. And then the other one um, was back in the day, which is uh, sort of a, um, interesting Twitter figure from time to time is uh, Greg Gabriel, who is a former scout for the Bears and other teams. He did he used to do one for national football post as well, where he would go through and you know break down tape and we would learn from him and then we would uh do scouting reports and send them to him and he would kind of grade them and things like that. So a couple of different places where I learned how to scout players. Nowhere that I technically learned how to grade players. I, I looked online when I first started doing it, saw the the grading scales that different teams use, and then kind of just tweaked it and, and kind of made it my own um and, and kind of did my own thing on top of that, where I'm kind of evaluating not only how they, you know, executed the the play, uh, but also like, you know, kind of some scouting stuff in there as well of like, how was their technique on the play and things like that. So um, it, it's been something that has, uh, like I said, I've really enjoyed doing, but um, nothing that I specifically learned how to grade. It was more almost in a way, a system that I developed on my own. Hmm. That's really cool.
0: That's really cool. So who was your favorite Packer growing up?
1: Oh, that's, I mean, growing up as a kid, I mean, my first game ever was the Brett Favre, Kittrick sure. Taylor, you know, uh, play where Favre came in to replace Mikowski. Wait, like, wait, 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 wait. hold
0: up. You went to that game?
1: I was at that game and the, and, and he threw the touchdown in my end zone. I was, uh, I think, eight or nine years old. My dad lifted me up over his head so I could see Kittrick Taylor come down with the the catch in the back corner of the end zone. So that was my very first game I ever had as a Packer fan. So that, I think if you ever wondering why you know Packers are in my DNA so much, I think you can figure uh, put the pieces together pretty quickly. Um. So, I mean, obviously coming in as, uh, you know, that is pretty much my first experience. I, I had watched games with Mikowski and Tom Zach, and I was still enjoying the Packers before that. But uh, that was sort of my, uh, you know, being baptized in the green and gold, if you will, on that day. And then coming up from Favre to Rodgers and so on and so forth, not a bad three decades to enjoy Packer football. Uh, but, um, you know, Favre growing up, I, I loved uh, Amon Green. And uh, I think a big reason for Amon was you know, the the Packers were so pass centric and, you know, Dorsey and, and Edgar and some of those guys were really good, but Green Bay never had that real breakaway, like just, you know, dominant running back and to see Green come in and put together, you know, 2000 yard season and things like that. Um, that was always really fun. I loved Charles Woodson, obviously, when he got to Green Bay. So uh, there's a variety of players. I mean, Tremont Williams will forever be one of my all-time favorite Packers, just how he kind of came up and and how he made his name and just all of it. So there's definitely a handful, but
0: those are a few of my favorites. That's awesome. That's awesome. You went to that that Favre game. Do you still have a ticket stub? Come on, you got. I wish.
1: Stub. So one of my real dumb moments in my life. I had a bunch of ticket stubs, and um, I ended up throwing them away for whatever reason as I was cleaning things up. And it is one of my most awful moments that I can think back on and be like, "What were you doing at the time?" And thinking of throwing them away, but uh, I do have the program. Um, cover is unfortunately not on it, but I do have the remainder of the program uh, from that game. But that's the only thing that I've left from that game.
0: Wow. Now you also just said there uh, during one of those previous answers about the 30 plus, you know, 30 years or whatever with Favre and Rogers. So I have to get your take on it because uh, sometimes the talking point is two Super Bowl wins with those two is not enough. It's not acceptable. So where do you fall on that whole conversation?
1: Yeah, I think I think I can easily play both sides. I mean, I okay. think I will gladly take two Super Bowls. Uh, period. I don't really care how they came about or. Uh, what the level of talent that Green Bay had in those situations? Um, I will gladly take two Super Bowl wins and three appearances, but um, I, I think you can make a strong argument that when you have Favre and Rodgers, uh, that there were real opportunities. And I think we saw Green Bay in a way kind of go all in this season. I, I think there were opportunities in the past where Green Bay had some of those opportunities and didn't take advantage of them. And I know um, that because they didn't take advantage of some of those, that you know he sort of elongated some of those runs and gave Green Bay more you know, more bites at the cookie, if you will, and more opportunities to to get to more Super Bowls, but it it just didn't ever come to fruition. So I, I think the biggest thing I'll say in regards to all of it is is if there was a perfect formula for how to do this and, and make it you know, to as many Super Bowls as possible, we would see every team follow that formula. And I think, you know, for the most part, Green Bay tried different things, and you know, I think was mostly, you know, successful over these past three decades and have two Super Bowls to show for it. And I, I don't think anyone can take any of that away. And I think Tom Brady and the the Patriots, and specifically just Tom Brady, especially now that he has one with the the Bucks too, is sort of skewed. Um, you know, the idea of how easy it is to win these things—it is so hard to win. You know, Super Bowls. In any period of time, regardless of what players that you have. Um, and outside of Tom Brady, you know, in the past 30 years, Green Bay's been success- as successful as anyone. So I uh, don't definitely take it for granted, but can definitely see both sides of the story.
0: I would definitely, as a Vikings fan, take two Super Bowls in the last see, 30 years. I'm are. just saying, I'd take that. I would take that. Um, Andy Herman. So if, uh, if we find out that Rogers actually does have COVID toe, you want to come on the podcast again?
1: <laughs> I, think, I think I'd actually rather have it be the, excuse me, the other way around where uh, if there's anything COVID related, I think just, uh, I want to stay out of it at this point based on how divisive everything is, but I would be happy to come on and talk
0: with you anytime, John. All right, Andy, thanks so much uh, for the time and talking a little bit of uh, Green Bay Packers with me today. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Fun conversation there with Andy Herman. Come on. What is, what's with Roger's toe? Really? What is going on there? The thing that confuses me the most with the Rogers toe thing is let me bring this up again. The quote is when he says, I'm leading people to understand that if it's worse than turf toe, there must be some sort of bone issue. Is that him just in a weird way saying, listen, I'm not saying, but I'm saying I got a bone issue. I just don't want to tell you how I got it because if it's a bone issue then that Wall Street Journal article is so misleading, it's like because the headline Wall Street Journal. Aaron Rodgers doesn't just have any toe injury, he has COVID toe. The Packers star quarterback, the sub sub headline or whatever you call it, is dealing with a painful toe injury that stems from the body's immune response to his recent case of COVID-19. Like there's just straight out saying, this is by Andrew Beaton, Wall Street Journal, they're just straight out claiming it's COVID toe and they go through all the the reasons because I guess COVID toe is a thing. It's apparently in really healthy people, by the way, that's a strong immune response that uh, they can have these issues with their toe where it turns like black and blue. But in this article, they don't even mention the bone, the bone comment. So I don't know. I just wish. Do we need to know? It's toe injury. Here's what you need to know it's toe injury. Well, I guess the COVID side would say, yeah, you need to know if it's COVID because then if you hadn't gotten COVID, blah, 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 then you wouldn't have the toe injury. But I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know. But anyway, thanks again to Andy Herman for jumping on the podcast today. Once again, the Ian's Pizza cash for the holidays word for today is four, F-O-R, four. Now you can go listen to the Bo Ryan, Sam Decker, Paul Allen podcast for all the previous keywords. You put them all together, you create a message, who wants $500 for the holidays as a thank you for listening. Thank you. That's why I'm doing it. And we're giving away pizza on Twitter. So you can always retweet these episode links for your shot at free Ian's Pizza Lunch on Ian's $25 Ian's uh, gift cards. And they've got through the month of November the steak and fry. That's barbecue sauce and mozzarella base topped with crinkle cut fries. Get out of here. Blackened flank steak and some barbecue sauce. And the Thanksgiving slice is awesome. I love it. I'm going to, you know, I have to go to Ian's. What do we got? I have to go to Ian's and get some of that Thanksgiving slice with the turkey, the green beans. Yes, the green beans, the mushrooms, the button mushrooms, excuse me, french fried green onions, cranberry sauce, and stuffing it all just works. It all goes together really well. Um, but uh, Hey, thanks for listening to this podcast. And next week, uh, I got, I got a couple ideas for next week. We'll see how it goes. And once again, still working on something else for a sponsor that if we can get that ball rolling, I think it's going to be really cool. So stay tuned for that. always got something. It's an, it's another way of saying, thanks, something cool. I'm just trying to do cool stuff. All right. See ya.